you can't throw a rock in in the state of Maryland without hitting someone who has fascinating thoughts on healthcare and is actually implementing change. Welcome to Center Maryland's The Lobby Pod. This is Damian O'Doherty, and I'm excited to bring you a very special guest. Everybody in the healthcare world knows our next guest, but I think it's going to be an education for many of our newer and younger listeners. Craig Bem is the lead executive responsible for developing and executing the strategic plan at CRISP, C-R-I-S-P. That stands for the Chesapeake Regional Information System for our patients. His focus is on driving interoperability and innovation by expanding health data utilities through CRISP and other member health information exchanges across the country. This is my favorite part. He teaches at the master's program at UMBC in health information technology and is a graduate, um, MBA graduate from Loyola University in Baltimore. Welcome, Craig. Thank you so much, Jamie. That was, as usual, overly generous, but I appreciate it. <laughs> well, listen, I went with uh, sort of explaining CRISP just by breaking down the what each letter means. Talk to us a little bit in layman's terms uh, or as my wife said, layman's terms, what what uh, what CRISP is, what it means. Sure, yeah. So, um, so CRISP is a nonprofit uh, that was established with um, members. Actually, it was Erickson Retirement Communities, uh, John Erickson, and then University of Maryland, MedSAR, and Johns Hopkins. Uh, around like 2007, they all got together and said, we are upgrading our technology in our own health systems. We have electronic health records. Uh, these EHRs are supposed to, you know, make patient care more effective and efficient and allow us to, to work across entities to, to do better things for our patients across the continuum. Um, but we need a mechanism for that. And uh, so they created CRISP um, as a collaborative group that would do exactly that, help the individual health systems, individual providers work together to provide, to provide better patient care. So prior to 2007, there was a bit of a, a sort of data mania. You had all this data for individual health records and then macro clinical analysis, but there was no place that was pulling it all together to make sense of it for each of the providers and for the state policymakers as well. Yeah, it was almost worse than that. Um, some <laughs> health systems certainly had data and were doing uh, some interesting things, but most of them were still on paper. You know, you still had, had most physician groups on paper. Uh, that's why you saw the federal government come out with meaningful use and a lot of investments through high tech. Um, and so really what we did, um, we were created to help ride that wave to make sure that as Maryland providers upgraded, as they thought about uh, the way in which they could um, you know, purchase and leverage these systems, that they did it rationally. And, um, and, and with, I think, the important concept that a patient's data should move with the patient. And, and that certainly our health systems are probably very different from many states. Our health systems also believed that. They wanted to provide better care regardless of where the patients choose, choose to go. And um, CRISP just became the mechanism to make that happen. Uh, so we actually, so the, the concept, it's health information exchange uh, is the concept. Uh, and uh, there was actually a state law that, that designated 
an HIE for the state of Maryland. And CRISP won that as a uh, as a competitive procurement uh, in 2009. So you, uh, that's the Health Information Exchange for Maryland, which uh, you know is a vanguard state in all things healthcare. We believe. Mm -hmm. um, but you also have another dynamic in that you were connecting with other HIEs across the country. Is that and talk about yeah. how you're becoming a hub in that regard? Yeah, so um, I, I think you're right that Maryland's a vanguard for for healthcare. And what we learned early on was that what CRISP could do um, was pretty unique. Other HIEs, so so most states created an HIE. Uh, HIEs kind of specialized in different things. Some were more successful than others. Uh, we really focused on on a couple, I think, of core concepts. The first was it was always about collaboration. It we do not do things for individual provider groups only or health systems only or, or carriers only. We do things that require kind of this information sharing, this cross-border uh, work. Uh, and so that kept us out of a lot of competitive trouble. It kept us out of some service lines that, quite frankly, could be done better by for-profit entities or other, or other health IT companies. Um, so that was one. The second was that we we're always looking to innovate. Uh, we're firm believers that we should not exist for the sake of existing. And so that means we have to look for ways to provide new value. Uh, and that that helped us create the encounter notification service that was really pushing all the notifications to the community providers, helped us move pretty aggressively into claims-based um, analytics, which is, of course, thanks to our, our uh, Health Services Cost Review Commission partnership. Um, and it moved us very dramatically into public health. So we could help do COVID response, but but certainly move beyond that. And so as, as CRISP was excelling as an HIE, we also saw that other states needed help. It started with the District of Columbia and then West Virginia. And so kind of long story short, we created a separate nonprofit called CRISP Shared Services, which allows the technology to scale, but we partner with affiliate local HIEs. So for example, in DC, CRISP DC is a separate nonprofit with its own board, its own governance, its own data use, its own provider relations, its own project management, but all of our kind of security and privacy and data lake and uh, master person index, all that is the same infrastructure. So we can make the technology scale and be very inexpensive, but allow the district to control their own fate. All of this is governed by, well, help me explain and understand this. You have a governance body for CRISP that includes public servant superstars like Matt Clark and Trish Roddy. Mm -hmm. Do they oversee just the Maryland piece or do they oversee all the nonprofits? Um, do they govern over all the nonprofits as well? Yeah, that, that's a shockingly complicated answer, partially because, as, as you know, right, governance is all that matters in this space, right? If we're not paying attention to what stakeholders want, if we don't have the right data policies, then none of it works. So CRISP is actually the founding class A member of CRISP Shared Services. So while Matt and Tricia and, and all the other great people on the board uh, are overseeing CRISP, the CRISP board actually has uh, outsized governance responsibilities on the CRISP Shared Services board. So they have three seats. They have reserved powers. Um, I'm the CEO of both, according to the bylaws. Um, but one thing that makes our governance unique is that even though CRISP, uh, DC, and West Virginia, and Connecticut, and Alaska, and Virginia all have their own boards, each of those 
partner HIEs puts a one of their representatives onto the CRISP Shared Services Board. So not only is CRISP Shared Services uh, more or less a managed service vendor partner, we're also governed by the people we partner with. And that I think leads to much more thoughtful sustainability conversations and, and much richer collaboration. When, uh, when your bio and you see this word interoperability a lot on the website, uh, is that all about the refinement of these relationships, be it in data and governance uh, between all these different HIEs, or is that it, when you're speaking of interoperability, are you, are you speaking to something else? Yeah, I mean, it's both. So it, it, it starts with the data, right? We need to have the secure connections. We need to have data quality. We need to have real-time systems that can process just massive data sets and then make them available, you know, instantly through, uh, through modern APIs or kind of other configurations that are, that our providers need. Um, but quite frankly, as you're alluding to, most of my time is spent dealing with people, not technology. Uh, you know, these, these all become people problems at the end of the day. And, and if, if there's not trust, if there's not a rich understanding of value propositions, if, if we're not listening to what will actually help our provider community serve their patients better, then the technology doesn't matter. The alerts you spoke of earlier for, you know, emergency room situations. Can you talk, can you explore that a little bit with us? Yeah. Um, um, so early on in kind of HIE, the one of the, the most important innovations was this concept that I could get a list of a physician's patients. I could listen in on real-time admissions and discharges at the hospital. And then I could alert the, the, the physician when one of their patients went to the ED or was discharged. And that really helped for, for obviously wow. continuity of care. It also helped for billing codes because you can bill for transitions of care. And, um, and that got us, yeah, that plus our partnership with MedKai got us into a, probably more community practices than most other HIEs. Since then, actually- In other words, yeah. more primary care physicians or what have you out in the community could tap into that data, get alerts about their patients that were with other providers. That's exactly right. And, and so suddenly, instead of you know, having to be on the same EHR or having to choose a health system or a partnership, or quite frankly, just if a, one of your patients went to a, a hospital that was farther away, we could help bridge the gap so that the patients were were kind of followed post-discharge. And then- Is that something that came into um, sort of broader use during the pandemic or those tools sort of come to the fore as Maryland seemed to be more on, from a data standpoint at least, seemed to be more on top of the pandemic issues than, than most any other place I could recognize. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So there's there's maybe two really exciting evolutions related to that service. So one is that uh, even though it started as a very simple service, you know, simple service to say, who's your patient? I'll tell you when they go to the hospital. We now, because of our data lake technology, because of the, the vast connectivity we have, we can say things like, well, what children are not enrolled in the Maryland Department of Health's asthma program who have had an ED visit because of an asthma complication that then let's refer those children to the right contact at the state or what uh, Medicare beneficiaries um, are pre-diabetic 
but not enrolled in a diabetes prevention program. Let's forward that notice to someone who can help enroll them. So it's, it's actually more of like a rules-based alerting system now that is, is configurable to, to help drive almost anything that our partners think will help them manage cost of care and create better outcomes. And in a total cost of care model, like Maryland's uniquely positioned, those tools are really helpful for hospitals sort of delivering better care for managing costs and also, you know, improving outcomes, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and, and very early on in the intro, you, you mentioned health data utility, which I'm not sure I, would, I need more complicated jargon in this space, but um, it's kind of a, the, the term is a reflection of how we're thinking about our role in that, you know, we move beyond kind of just pushing data back and forth. And now what we're saying is, no, we're much more like infrastructure. We're much more like your water system or the electrical grid in that healthcare data can flow to us. We can be trusted to provide you know, consent and monitoring and quality tools on top of the data. And then health system, you, know, you guys are, are brilliant and doing the right thing for your patients. So tap into that utility so that we can help you just do things a little bit better, a little bit more efficiently you know, a little more routinely. You have a beautiful blue crab on your logo. I want everybody to go to chrisphealth.org and check out the site because it is very helpful. There's some great videos on there that help uh, explain things like HIEs. And, but that blue crab is going to be making a little bit of a sideways stroll from, from one end of Howard County or one end of Columbia to another. You all are going to be going from the gateway area to the Meriwether district in downtown Columbia. You'll uh, be officing with the likes of uh, Tenable, who's a big cybersecurity giant. I think uh, the chairman of the budget committee in the Senate has an office over there uh, in the private sector. Uh, it's a quite a, it's quite a hub that's developing, not just for data, but also in healthcare and, uh, Talk to me about your uh, your move to downtown Columbia, Maryland. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how excited I am. And that's hard for me to say. I'm an, I'm an Anne Arundel County resident, so it's tough to, to work in Howard County. Um, <laughs> but no, we, we are thrilled because like many places, especially the kind of technology firms, when we went remote during the pandemic, we realized that we could do exceptional work and not have to, you know, check to make sure people are in their cubicles you know, 40 hours a week. And so mo most of our workforce, more than half, are no longer local to central Maryland, but we have a really important culture. And when you're dealing with, you know, patient data and privacy and, and stakeholders. Multiple states, right? Yeah, like we, but we need our employees to feel engaged, to be mission-driven, to, to love the work they do. And so when we were looking at new office space, our lease was coming up, um, we've enjoyed where we've been, but- I said, I need, a, I need a physical space that is flexible and fun to go to and allows for collaboration, not kind of individual heads down work, but also that has restaurants and that has a mall in case someone needs to go because they traveled into, the, you know, into Maryland and forgot something or they just feel like going shopping. And so we're excited that the office will actually become a destination that people you know, will enjoy kind of hanging out with their teams and going to a bar or going to play some local video games and just having a great time. You got the food market restaurant, the Hamden favorite, uh, 
which yeah. I swear to goodness, they literally like I took the leadership from from Howard Hughes in Columbia to Hamden as our first <laughs> our first <laughs> lunch spot. And I think it stuck with them ever since. And then you got Whole Foods across the street. And then one thing it'll be great for in uh, it should take just a few years to put together. But is this new world class library that's going to be on the lakefront over there? That's going to be a special place that that uh, you know employees and such could bring their kids. Maybe they could check out the library while they bang out a meeting with you, and then they can all go to a a viewing of uh, the sound of music or something over there at Merriweather. You know, there's right? going to be it's, a lot cooking, and we got ice skating. Uh, ice skating. The only problem is that it's hard to choose. Like it's hard to choose where to eat, and then once you do choose a place, it's hard to choose. From the menu, like all these places have have just kind of great offerings now. now so we're great. excited. And hopefully, I think in May we'll be over there, and I can't wait. Well, we be, we'll be looking forward to uh, seeing you and your team over there. What I would, uh, what I really got a kick out of was I watched the um, like the intro to the the annual summit that you all have, which is like bringing all these brainiacs in the healthcare world together um, in for a day in June. Um, you had health secretary, Dr. Laura Herrera Scott and the last, uh, keynoting the last one just thought that was a great signal uh, about your culture. Talk to me about the summit and, uh, and, uh, what you're thinking about this year. Yeah. Um, so maybe the first point is well, we've been doing that summit almost since the beginning. Um, we've been thrilled at the attendance, mostly because the diversity of people like we have care managers and social workers and physicians and hospital administrators and public health officials. And um, it's, it's just a kind of a really fun place to have a lot of different stakeholders that are all trying to do the same thing, you know, improve, improve the health of Marylanders. Um, so it's, it's a fun event for that reason. But also, you know, CRISP does not need to be, nor do we want to be kind of in the spotlight. You know, the whole point of, of CRISP as a health data utility is that we just want the data to efficiently move from point A to point B so you can trust it and it can always be there when you need it. Um, yeah. So actually at our, yeah, our conference- You guys are like guardians of infrastructure, <laughs> sentinels of infrastructure. I like it. I like it. Um, and so so when we build out the content for that, for our annual meeting, you know, it's really about, well, what are the major topics that that our attendees would care about. You know, it's not, a, it's, we try not to be like demos of CRISP or how do you use CRISP or onboarding. It's more about like, well, are we trying to support population health? Like what are some new innovative technologies for that? Or is the Maryland primary care program, you know, looking at some new intervention? Great. Let's talk about that. And if CRISP is helpful, even better, but it's really about that bigger, the bigger mission that we're all striving for. I have uh, a dream. And it may not be possible this year because the summit's usually in June and you're just moving over there into downtown Columbia in May. But I have a dream of that of downtown Columbia really becoming like a health village. And by that, I don't necessarily just mean, you know, medical office buildings, but just a whole culture of the future of healthcare and the Maryland model. So I'd love to I'd love to think about ways we could uh, collaborate to bring everybody together. Uh, in downtown Columbia, at least once a year, maybe every other year, to for everybody in that community to show off because you got whether it's Hopkins or Maryland or MedStar or whatever, St. Agnes, uh, 
you, you got all the best of Maryland healthcare that's sort of coalescing around there. No, hundred percent. And that's what, honestly, what keeps me engaged in this space. It seems like every day I have a conversation with someone and they're at a health system or they're a community physician or they're a patient advocate and they're doing really cool things. It's just, you can't throw a rock in, in the state of Maryland without hitting someone who has fascinating thoughts on healthcare and is actually implementing change. It's just a really fun place to be doing this work. And while I got you here, just to try to steal some uh, free healthcare advice from you, I've got a group in West Baltimore that is coming together. Now, they're all Catholic organizations, so like St. Agnes Hospital, my alma mater, Mount St. Joe, uh, Catholic Charities, my brother's keepers. I got Father Mike from the parish, the local parish there is leading the effort, and we're I'm like soft launching it right now with you, but we we're calling it health by Southwest. And our idea is that all the social determinants of health, education, transportation, nutrition, housing, all those sorts of things could use the biggest partners in the area, in the space, talking about those things and improving those things. You know, hospital might not be able to improve a transit map for example that would get people to to care quicker for example and so that this group could could participate to that we've done a gun buyback we're having a, a vigil for um all the people killed by gun violence this year in, in baltimore on the 27th of december and i, I just love if you had any uh, thought leader advice for us uh especially if there's anything we could be doing or learning in the data space we've got we've got some of the best people like Bo Higginbotham, Olivia Farrow, Father Mike like I said that 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 would take your advice heartily any advice for for health by southwest i mean you've already done the hard work by getting the right community partners engaged at the table uh like that's where that's where the rubber meets the road that's where the the work has to happen yeah maybe i'll say you know CRISP is an asset for everybody, and we should be leveraged by everybody who's allowed to leverage us. And so, you know, we already have a lot of data flowing into the infrastructure. We do have HIPAA authorizations that are available. So even non-healthcare data, non-healthcare actors uh, with appropriate patient consent and notice can kind of be part of the ecosystem. So I would say, you know, instead of, and I know this would not be your plan, but instead of starting from scratch, you know, let's yeah. look at the data that exists, the connections that exist, just like you're looking at community partnerships that exist. And right. uh, I think you'll be shocked at how much is already available. You know, like we're we're way beyond heat maps, right? Like, you know, which neighborhoods we would take. heat map. I mean, that would that would be very useful. But you're going beyond that. That's right. Because, you know, where you want to focus. So I think the bigger question is, you know, can we can we look at specific patients or types of patients and can we provide services and can we track them over time to prove efficacy and ROI and just making sure that that we're focused on the right interventions. And wow. the right uh, that's all very possible. These are not technology or data issues anymore. It's, it's obviously patient engagement and transparency, but then just, you know, thoughtful program design and execution. Before I get to my last question, I have a penultimate question for you. You got a great advocate on the ground in Annapolis. This audience is largely comprised of staff and leaders in Annapolis and the county seats all across 
Maryland, all mm -hmm. across Maryland. Do you have any legislative agenda or any healthcare landscape comments as as we all head towards the 2024 Maryland General Assembly session? So um and did I wait a second? Did yeah. I give you a you have a wonderful advocate and I think I gotta name his name, Sushat Sid. Yes. <laughs> Longtime friend of this podcast. Um so sorry, uh go ahead. No, so every year, this time of year, I tell Sushan, don't worry, there's nothing that's gonna come up. We're good. <laughs> and then something comes up and he gets mad at me. Um <laughs> but no, so this year uh we don't have anything kind of from our perspective, you know, we have some great partners um, like Chair Pena Melnick has just always been such an advocate for us. And um, and so I look forward to, you know, if, if there's an opportunity for Chris to be helpful or to provide, provide advice, um, certainly we'll do that. Uh, it's not infrequent that we'll get written into a bill that we kind of didn't understand or know about, but that's quite right. frankly, because that's what utilities are for, right? If we're an that's asset right. for our for the public, then we should be leveraged by the public. So hopefully nothing, nothing too dramatic there. The bigger kind of picture, I think, is actually that there is a lot of federal investment going towards public health modernization. It's decades overdue and it's not enough money. But we're we're looking to have a role in that. Uh, probably not so much in Maryland because they've already been doing it. You know, the secretary right. has been so thoughtful, her staff is so good. But outside of Maryland, you see these mistakes getting made over and over again, where, you know, federal dollars come in, they build a siloed system that solves one problem, and then the system kind of just over time gets obsolete, and then it breaks, and then they have problems. And the way we've done it locally is to say, we have an evergreen system, it's sustainable, it's uh, it's seen as as a shared platform, it's leveraged by many, many people. Uh, therefore, let's keep using it for things like new public health interventions or hospital programs or total cost of care model reporting. And uh, it's just a better, it's, it's, you know, we found that investing in a single thing with the right governance and then reusing it over and over again is much better than wasting money on kind of silo one-off platforms. And so that's the message we're trying to spread. So this is my next question. You know, I I set out to dig deeper into the Maryland uh, healthcare experience because I was like, it's right there in front of my face. And like within five episodes of my podcast, I had Lena, Dr. Lena Wen from CNN and the Washington Post. I had Bob Gallo, the discoverer, uh, co-discoverer of AIDS. Uh, I had the guy, the, the Hopkins doctor that ended up saving Donald Trump's life uh, for COVID uh, before the pandemic, you know, and so you're amidst that incredible community every day. It's a demanding place to stand in the middle of, let alone be the guardian of this important health data utility. How do you, you know, stay on top of the lexicon, stay on top of the partners, uh, understand all the intricacies of the Maryland model? How do you do all that? and raise a family in Maryland. <laughs> what talk to me about your talk to me about uh how you balance all those things. Yeah, I mean, the key is obviously having wonderful people, much smarter people around me, uh, including my wife and my kids probably they would tell you. Um <laughs> Yeah, so our technical teams are I think, you know, hands down some of the best in the industry. It's it's so we just to give you a sense of scope, like we are queried in real time like a a hospital EHR will query our system in real time 250,000 times per week. 
and we have, wow. you know, like four hundredth of a millisecond response times. We're sending like when we process a patient roster of a million people, it'll go through in under two minutes. Like it's just the the scale and the the capabilities of our technology are remarkable in every sense of the word, and that's only because we have very committed people on the technology team. They love the fact that we are a nonprofit trying to liberate the data so that data is no longer a barrier to all these wonderful clinicians just trying to do the right thing. Yeah, if you're open at AI, you should be looking at Craig Bem and how he manages all these nonprofits because clearly they had a different <laughs> challenge. <laughs> Sam, Sam Altman should be coming your way for some advice, I think. And we are a rounding error on their uh, on their <laughs> annual budget, so we welcome the call. Craig Bebb, thank you so much for uh, really leading CRISP and Maryland and the Chesapeake region into a whole new era of care and cost reduction and better outcomes. Can't we couldn't have a better person in the job? And, and we're grateful to grateful to see you there. Grateful you're sharing this moment with us today. No, thank you. It's been, it's a privilege for me. It's 15 years of, of commitment and thought by hundreds and hundreds of people. So I'm, I'm thrilled to do it. Thank you, Damien. Thank you all. Thanks for joining us on Center Maryland.